You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. So you've been back here two and a half years. You've remodeled a house. Yes. And you've become a pickleball enthusiast. Yes. I play every day. And I usually don't play on Sunday, but I did this last Sunday because I went up at, out at 7 o'clock in the morning and uh, played pickleball by myself. I like to practice. So you play at Firestone, <laughs> you play at the Y, you play at Boardman Salem Park? Community Center. Okay. So when did you decide your name was Felix? It was on a boat in Galveston Bay. I was introduced to this woman, and they introduced me as Fritz, and she said, Felix? Everybody started laughing, and they called me Felix all day then, just for a joke, and I called the other another guy. His name was Gary, and I called him Captain Jerry. Well, anyway, his name didn't stick, but mine did. And you know Jeff Richter, right? He used to have a T-shirt shop. He'd put all my Felix on my shirt, put it on my shoes. My wife called him and said, will you quit doing that? Debbie does not like the name. My one sister hates the name, won't call me that. But my other sister, she shortened it to Feel. She calls me Feel. How long have you been going by Felix? 25 years. Where did that name come from? Because I heard a story. I heard you were a clown. Well, Named Felix Schnoodles Schmeicher no, or something. That's another name. That's a completely <laughs> different. No, Schnoodleman. Tell us about that. I have friends. I have people that call me all kind of Because Were you really. literally a clown? No. Nope. Oh. No. Okay, a, tell us the story. Who's a, Felix Schnitzel Slimer? Schnoodleman. <laughs> I work, okay. Sometimes at work, they had locked the cage up, and I couldn't get things out of the cage I needed. So I schnoodled it out. You'd take a pole and put a string on it with tape like this, and you take and put the pole in there with the string, and then you'd pull the string around the thing and pull it out the slot. Okay. Is that a word you made up, or is that? It was just a made, we call it schnoodling. <laughs> so they call <laughs> me schnoodlemeister, right. you know. <laughs> okay, so no clown. No. But no. you were a singer. You told me you sing, you I were said, a singer. I, oh, I said that I do sing, but I no one knows that. No, well, I, I wouldn't say everybody know it because Noah and I have been doing singing since he was a little kid. Okay, so sing us a little ditty. Oh no, I, just a little one. Oh, what do you want me to sing? Frank Sinatra songs? I don't know. <laughs> no, okay, I, I, I'll just. Uh, I, this is a song I like. You know who Josh Turner is? Oh, Long Black Train. Yeah, there's a long black train coming down the line, feeding off of souls that are lost and crying. That's about it for now. Alrighty, <laughs> yay! Great, yes, yeah, yeah. nice, Love nice, it. nice. Little ditty. But by I, I like to sing Felix. Christian songs. But I do sing secular songs. I like oldies, a country too. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Beth. And Josh. And we are here with John Frederick Schmidt, a.k.a. Fritz, a.k.a. Felix. He renamed himself Felix. Tell us about that. 
I didn't rename myself. This is what, how it happened. Her brother-in-law took us out in a sailboat. Some girl was introduced to me. They said my name was Fritz. And she said, did you say Felix? That stuck, that name. I didn't like Fritz. I liked Felix. So he renamed himself at 50-some years old, decided yes. to go by Felix. Yes. Josh, if you got to rename yourself, what would you name yourself? Uh... <laughs> Salvador. <laughs> hey, Sal. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Sally and Sal, and we are here with Felix. I like that. We're making up all sorts of names today. Well, how would you like it if your parents named you a tongue twister name, Fritz Schmidt? <laughs> In our old church, I told my pastor, don't introduce us as uh, Debbie and Fritz Schmidt. Introduce us as Fritz and Debbie Schmidt. It's a lot easier to say. Okay. <laughs> tongue twisters. Yes. Felix was born and raised in East Liverpool. He graduated from Beaver Local High School and got drafted into the Army and served three years in the Army. He went one year extra for electronic school. And when he got out of the Army, he got a job at AT&T, and he worked there for 38 years. What do you do at AT&T? I started out installing phones. Now, people don't realize what that consists of anymore. We don't do that. But I installed phones. I repaired phones. And then I went into the main offices and worked on the electrical and mechanical part of it. And then they did away with that, and then it became all digital. And then I worked on that for a long time, inside and out. And then the last about eight years, I worked as a circuit tester for the state of Ohio. I was the only one doing that job. And then they knew that they had to replace me because I, they knew I was going to retire. So I had to train people how to do that. Uh, but I tested lottery circuits, main circuits that would go to uh, like air traffic controller towers and stuff like that. We had to keep those circuits up. That require a lot of travel? When I was training the guys, I had to go to Columbus, yeah. And, okay. But they would let my wife come with me. They paid all expenses Nice. And it was that was okay, but I wanted to retire. I was I think sure. if you work any place for 38 years, you get tired of it, regardless of how good the job is. Felix met his wife when he was out of the army. Debbie had moved back to the area from Florida with her family when she was 21. His story is different than his wife's story, but he met her at a party. She was there with his friend, and he said, are you going to date her or not? And his friend said, no, we're just friends. And so yes. he swooped in, didn't sweep her off her feet immediately, but the sports car helped. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, we almost had a wreck in that sports car. I took her out to Guilford Lake, and she screamed. There was a spider in the car, and I reached to get the spider, and I pulled the wheel, and we almost went off of the dam at Guilford Lake, almost went in overboard. I don't think we ever did kill the spider, but... It scared both of us. They have been married for 53 years. They lived in Columbiana after East Liverpool for eight years, and then they moved to Boardman, and they were in Boardman for 25 years, and then they've been in Columbiana for the past two and a half years. They moved back. They bought another house. They remodeled. They have 15 grandkids, a brand new great-grandson. So now you're a great-grandpa. Yes, Felix is a pickleball enthusiast. Are you good? I would think that I am pretty good for, I'm going to be 76 next week. And most of the guys are younger. There are older ones out there. But uh, the, my main sport for 30 years was martial arts. 
and I taught that, and I was very involved in that. Then I started playing tennis. The day I retired, I started playing tennis, and that was 61 and a half, and played for um, like 12 years. And then I started doing pickleball, and I was doing them both. And then I dropped tennis because my partners had either died, moved, or got too old. And pickleball just matched up. There's a lot of people that want to play it. I play indoor and outdoor. And if you, you ask me if I was good, I, I'm not terrible. I can play. Sounds I'm like he's good. I'm an enthusiast. <laughs> I, I'm an enthusiast for three games. And then I'm like, okay, I'm tired. <laughs> I want to rotate out. But I've, I've never played. Does the, do the tennis skills help you with pickleball? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. because uh, you're used to hitting the ball. The mechanics are similar. The difference is the serve. In tennis, you have an overhead serve, and you get two, two turns to get it in. And in pickleball, you only have one chance, and you have to hit it underhanded. Okay. But it's a quick-moving game, and like you said, it'll make you tired. If you get a, a real competitive game, it'll wear you out. Yep. Yeah. How about racquetball? I played that. Uh, Do you enjoy it? You know what? I was a little bit afraid of a racquetball because sure. I was afraid the racquetball, the racket would come back and hit me in the face and break my teeth off. Oh. I was really concerned about that. And I didn't really like it, but I took a course on racquetball at Kent State University. Oh, yeah? I just decided that wasn't for me. Yeah, I get kind of scared of the ball. It's like flying around in there. I tried it one time. You hit it too hard and just don't know <laughs> where it's going to go. You, really? <laughs> yeah. Sunday nights, 5 p.m., meet us at the pickleball courts. Bruce and Mel and I have been playing Oh. with Jaden, but Jaden was at camp this week, so Bruce beat Mel and I. <laughs> we thought we beat him because it was two against one. Yeah. He looks will show up in school, you guys. I know. He did. <laughs> Debbie and Felix are the parents of two children. They're not children anymore. Brandon and Heidi. And we'll talk a little bit about that okay. in a minute, but have some relations here. So you are my dad's stepbrother. Yes. At an old age. So my grandma, Dorothy, and Felix's dad, Fred, Got married when they were like 70 and 80 years old. Yes, my dad was 81. And they were married for like 12 years? Yeah, I think around, around 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a little bit of family connection here. Yes. And I also graduated from Columbian High School with his son, Brandon. Yes. He sat behind me in Spanish class. Okay. Picked on me. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Heidi's back in Columbiana with her four kids. Yes. And tell us what happened to Brandon. It is not a happy story. When you lose your son in a violent way that we lost him, he had quit drinking for a year. He had alcohol problems. We had helped him with a house, and he was living with somebody. And he went off, what do you call it, go off the wagon for one day. And he got in trouble. Alcohol is poison to some people. I know some people that will put lampshades on their head. Some people get mean. Some people are funny. There's different things, but some people get violent. And he was the type of person, when he got drinking, he was violent. Would end up with the police and the FBI and everything in the house was uh, surrounded. And uh, they shot him. You know, it's, it, I don't like to recall it because it's hurtful, but he was, he was raised in the church. He knew the Lord. We know he's in heaven because you cannot be trapped in a house for 11 hours and not call out to the Lord. 
you know, I, I believe that there's no atheists in foxholes. You will turn to the Lord in a moment of desperation. And I know that God will forgive those people for the simple reason is when Jesus died on the cross, he said his last words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And those were the very people that killed him, plucked out his beard, made fun of him, spit on him. And he can forgive them without even asking for forgiveness. And that's my hope. What has the journey been like for healing for you guys over the last almost three years? Well, I was such a mess on the day that we had his service that my friend had to subdue me. I was, I, I just lost it. And then I decided I wanted to talk at the memorial. And I got up and I said, I'm not mad at God. I think that I really helped some people by saying that because I had a cousin that called me and said, I haven't talked to God for seven years. And she said, if you can say that you're not mad at God, I have no right saying I'm mad at God. She said, I turned to him today. So there, and there was several people that told me that. Here's how I handled it personally. The scripture, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. You know what? We're not supposed to set up residence in the valley. We're not supposed to buy a camper and live there or buy property and stay there. No, I'm going to move through the valley. I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to walk, but I ran. And during that running process, God was with me and helped me through it. We're not supposed to mourn over people like the world does. There's a season for mourning, but it's not a lifetime of mourning. I don't think your mind, your heart, and your soul will let you mourn that long. And the people that do that, they're miserable for the rest of their life. And I know he wouldn't want me miserable, and he wouldn't want his mother miserable. So uh, we're working through it. Now, uh, Heidi took it hard, of course. Uh, we all did. The kids, it, it affected everybody in the family in a negative way. It sounds like your faith was a big part of the healing process for you during that time. God was with me. God is my best friend. I sing songs about God being my friend. He's, he has taken over the grief. He has healed my heart, and I'm so thankful for that. Now, some people's hearts are still broken, and they're in the mending process. But I feel that I've come out of the valley, and I feel that I'm on the mountaintop again. But I know I'm not going to stay there forever, too, because these feelings come over you like a wave. It just emotions just all of a sudden flood you. And at last, and it, it, it used to be all the time that that happened, but it, it's, it doesn't happen too much anymore. But about a month ago, it happened, and I lost it. I started crying, and, and it was over Brandon. I think that that will always happen, but the Lord brings me through it. I have these valley experiences, and with the Lord's help, I get through it. And grief is a process. Absolutely. And, you know, you can be doing great, and then something reminds you mm -hmm. of him, or you have a thought about him, or somebody brings him up, and that pain can wash over you. And yeah. that's a normal part of the grief process. Yes. I don't forget him. I promised him when I kissed him on the forehead and said goodbye, I said, there won't be one day that I don't remember you. And that's the way it is. Yeah. I remember Brandon. He was my best friend. When he was a kid, I spent a lot of time. You know, a lot of fathers are sorry that they don't spend time with their kids. I spent time with my kids. I wouldn't work overtime. I, I would, the money didn't mean that much to me, but my family meant a lot to me. 
And my grandkids are the same way. I treat my grandkids like I treated my kids. I want to spend a lot of time with them. Yesterday, we went swimming with the grandboys, so they're little nine-year-olds. I love the word picture that you gave for the Valley of the Shadow of Death, how we're not supposed to take up residence there. You yes. Know? So I think some people, when they encounter grief, they avoid it. It sounds like you knew that you were in the valley, but you knew that there was a mountain ahead. I think that is such a healthy way to view it. I love your word picture there with the camper. We're not supposed to take a camper there, and we're supposed to keep moving through it. Well, you know, when something like this happens, God is going to watch how you react. Are you going to lose it? A lot of people say, I'm done with God. I have family members that have lost brothers and sisters, and they don't believe in God anymore. I said, I will never do that. No matter what happens, I'm not going to lose my faith over this. And I haven't, and I won't allow that to happen. Well, tell us, who or what turned your light on? Where, where does your faith journey begin? Well, I was in a church for a long time that didn't preach salvation, but I was hungry. And uh, I believe the Word says that if, if you search the Scriptures with all your heart, the Lord will reward you for that. Well, I started going to Jimmy Swaggart concerts and Kenneth Copeland concerts and all these evangelistic type of things. Well, our church had a renewal, and uh, I thought by the Scriptures you had to confess Jesus as Lord, and I believe that is true, but I thought I had to wait until I was in front of people to do that, where I could have just said, Jesus, I want you in my heart, and that would have happened. But I did it in a church setting. I got up and confessed that, but I felt relieved. Then I grew after that, and uh, finally I had to leave that church because I was in search of churches that were telling me the truth about the second coming of Christ, being born again. I needed to hear all that. I I wanted to go to a church that baptized by immersion. I wanted to follow Jesus and remember him the way he said to remember him. And one of the things was baptism, follow him in baptism. How old were you at this point? I was about, um, let's see, probably around 40. So you had been going to a church the whole time, oh, raising yeah, we your were kids involved in the church? In, and... We were involved in this church a lot. But then something sparked you, and you were like, it became... Well, one of the deacons of the church come up to me and my wife and said, I understand that you're teaching—we were involved in youth—or teaching the kids uh, about the Bible. He says, you know you're not qualified to do that. And I says, well, what makes you— th- say that. And he says, well, you don't believe everything the Bible says, do you? I said, yes, I do. And he says, do you believe the story about Jonah being swallowed by the the fish, the great fish? I said, yeah. And he says, it's just a metaphor. It, It doesn't really mean that. I said, well, then you're calling Jesus a liar because Jesus said he'd be in the earth buried three days and three nights, the same Jonah was in the whale's belly. And he said, it doesn't say that. So I went home, got my Bible out. This is after church on Sunday, and I called him. He says, well, I'm eating lunch right now. I said, you're going to listen to this. And he says, well, you sound like a Protestant to me. And I said, well, maybe that's what I am. I said, I don't know what I am, but I know one thing. I believe what the Bible says, and you don't. When did you start reading the Bible if you were in a church that wasn't really preaching it? Well, I heard it on TV, the radio. In fact, I was working night turn, and I would listen to this one program, and they'd give you Bible verses, and I would look it up to see if it's true. I am a student of the Bible. I study. I have to tell you this story. We were going to this church up in Boardman for years and years, over 30 years, and Debbie was still going there. Well, I didn't want to go there no more. I felt that I couldn't go there anymore. So I went to another local church here in Columbiana, and it was okay. And she would get ready and go to this church, one church, 
and I'd get ready to go to the other church. Well, after she was ready to go, I went was going to get in the shower to get ready to go to church, and the Lord stopped me in my steps, you know, stopped me and says, you're not going there today. He didn't say it audibly, but I felt it. So I got in the shower, and I kept saying, Lord, what am I getting in the shower for? Where am I going? So I come to the Upper Room Fellowship. And I had been here before. I used to come here years ago. We were here for a year when we lived in Boardman, and it got to be we didn't want to drive that far. So anyway, I come to this church, and I connected right away with Chuck Hamilton. And I knew most of the past. I knew Bruce, of course, and Monica. And so I'm doing a mini-study on the kingdom of God, because I believe that's the gospel. It is the gospel, because Jesus went around teaching the gospel of the kingdom. It also, we have to believe in Jesus and be born again to enter into the kingdom. So they have to be taught in parallel. Well, lo and behold, the pastor's talking about the kingdom of God. For 29 weeks or something? (laughs) Okay, so I come here. So that was sort of a, a confirmation to me that God's got me in the right spot right now. Does God talk to us? Of course he does. What about that song that's sung at most funerals? He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. He's talking to us. And most people want to hear that song at their funeral. Were you guys living in Columbiana at that time? Were you back when you came to the upper room? Well, I came first. She didn't come. I came by myself. And this was uh, only a couple months ago. And I started coming, and she's still going to the other church. And she came with me one weekend. And she's been here ever since. And I don't, we don't talk about it too much. But I've had friends say, why don't you go to church together? That's what you should be doing. Well, I figured the Lord will get this straightened out. He'll either get me going with her there or somewhere else, or she'll come here. Well, she came here, and she's been here ever since. And Well, we're happy that you guys yes. have joined us. Well, thank you. We find, uh, you know what, it's nice to make a connection at church. People, if, if you go out of town, if you meet people, the first thing they say, where are you from? Because they want to, oh, I've got friends there. I know someone that lives near there. People want to connect some way. And if you don't make that connection, you might not come back to church. And when I came, I seen a lot of people I know. I've been friends with LMA Kimple for a long time, and Jeff, and uh, there's just a lot of people here. I know all the pastors by first name. I've known them for years, and they're friendly, and I, I feel home here. Let's face it, when you go to a church, it takes a while to get plugged in. It really does. So this leads in nicely to question number two. What lights you up? Uh, I have a heart for lost souls. I have an evangelistic type heart, and and I'm not bragging about that. I'm telling you how I feel. I am hurting for the lost. I do anything I can to win people, souls for the Lord, and I have my own ministry that I do that. I share the gospel through tracks, and I wear wristbands, and people say, what's this wristband do? And I give people these things so they can share with other people. But I go to different places, uh, Canfield Fair. We win hundreds of people to the Lord. We go different places. I was uh, a chaplain in the Mahoney County Jail for years. 25? I don't know. I can't remember. But here recently, when COVID hit, they didn't allow anybody to come into jail. Which is understandable. So I haven't been doing that. But here at the last parade, I went with my buddy, and we passed out the tracks at the parade. Uh, I believe that ministry can be done in the church and outside the church. And I'm sort of liking doing outside the church because I feel sometimes uh, in church you're preaching to the choir. I mean, there are lost souls that come into church, but I, there's a lot of people out there that need to know the Lord. That's where I have been called in that ministry. 
Can I ask, how did you get involved in the Mahoning County Jail ministry? I was in this one church I was telling you about that Debbie and I were in for years and years, and they asked our pastor to get a team and train us on how to minister, and we did that for several weeks, and then we just took buses and went down there. There's six floors in that jail, and there's uh, men and women and uh, different pods and stuff like that. What was heartbreaking is that uh, my son was in the same pod that I was uh, preaching in. But you know how effective it is when you when these guys are laughing and clowning around and you say, guys, I can associate and I can feel for you. Oh, yeah, you're going home tonight to your wife. I said, no, my son was, was murdered and he was in this pod. They shut up right away and they start listening to me. Sure. And I said, guys, it's not too late to turn to the Lord. And so I started going down there for years and then I went to another church, and then I started going back. I have a friend. Uh, he's in charge of it, and he asked me to come back again, and I did. In that time, it was probably eight years. I'd, I'd take a little break sometimes, a year, then I'd go back. But over a 25-year period, every Monday night. Tell us about that story that you met a guy at the YMCA, and you led him to Christ. He was playing basketball. I heard this from Seeley. He'd be dribbling over here. I, I was by myself. It was 7.30 in the morning. We were the only two in the gym. And he said something to me that just sparked something. And I asked him, he said he was spiritual. I said, what does that mean to you? He says, you know, I'm good. I try to keep the commandments. I do this and that and good to my parents. I said, do you know that none of those things will uh, get you into heaven? He says, what are you talking about? I said, if those would get you into heaven, then why did Jesus ever have to die on the cross? And I started talking to him. And I, I carry the pamphlet or the the track with me and I give him a bracelet and I let him in the Lord in the prayer he became a Christian and he was so um, some people take it nonchalantly at first some people get zapped this kid got zapped he was so thankful he says I've, I've been waiting for this he says I and he was so thankful but you know uh we all believe that God is just what it means is just as you get what you deserve. If you know, if a, if a, a judge sentences you, you get what you deserve. But if he has mercy, he'll lighten the sentence. But not Jesus. He's gracious. He takes the sin away. We don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. But that's what he is. His grace is sufficient for all our sins, and that's the hope that I have for myself. When did you develop your passion for saving souls? I would say that the Lord has brought me up in this for a long time, because I'm like most people. I worked. I was head of children's church for a long time. Then I went into youth. Then I did nursing home and visitation and stuff like that. And then I think that when I went into prison ministry, the Lord put a brand new calling on me to be more uh, serious about it. So I am serious about it. Well, you're sowing seeds, and it provides a great opportunity, for sure. Yes, yeah. It, you know what? It's, it's a game changer. I used to go up to people and say, you need to be born again. I'd try to kick the door down. I'd try to do everything. You need save. But, you know, there's certain questions that you go through, and you don't intimidate people. Like, the favorite question is, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Do you know how many times I've heard people say, well, I don't know. I want to. I hope so. But you know what? You don't get into heaven by wanting to go to heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared person. You don't get there by accident. You don't just slip in at the end of your life. It's not the question that God is mad at you or anything like that. God wants you. 
His way is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believeth in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus' message is, you must be born again. Now, people sometimes will stop with that, you must be born again. No, you must be born again to inherit the kingdom. It's a two-part message. You ever hear that song, love and marriage, love and marriage, Mm -hmm. go together like a horse and cat? You can't have one without the other. So the gospel, the kingdom message has to go along with the salvation message. I don't think there's two gospels that are in unison, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus. And people say, no, there's only one gospel. Well, in my Bible, there's a gospel of John, gospel of Mark, gospel of Matthew. What's gospel mean? Good news. I got a bunch of good news to tell people. Jesus is not mad at anybody. And he wants you to come into the kingdom, but he has a specific way that you get there, and your name has to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm so thankful that my name is in there, and I am going to live for the Lord. And I'm a big commandment guy. I believe that if you love the Lord, you will keep his commandments, and I know I'm off by heart. I can spit them out in probably 30 seconds, and I go to bed at night because the commandments are important to God. And if they're that important, I think we ought to keep them. They're important to God. And he says, Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. So when I go to bed at night, I say the Ten Commandments, and I believe that when you worship God, he said, you will worship me in spirit and truth. And how do you do that? The truth is the commandments are written by God. We know that. And the worship is thanking God for doing that. I always say, like the Third Commandment, thou shalt not uh, take the Lord's name in vain. I say, Lord, I I never want to take your name in vain. I love you, Lord. I praise your name. That's what I'm here for. Who am I? I am a child of the King, and I'm not ashamed of it. I love the Lord. That's, I'm going down that way. So you're definitely letting your light shine in the area of evangelism in the world and out in the community where you go. But talk to us about how you're letting your light shine with your family, because you have all these kids that you and Debbie are pouring into. Yeah, well, I think most of the time, I think the best sermon is you don't have to say anything. You do it. I won my son-in-law to the Lord. I won my grandkids to the Lord. The one boy was eight years old. I just won him to the Lord not too long ago. The other one's close. Won my cousins to the Lord. Anybody that I can talk to, but I, I don't talk about religion to them because I do not like religion. I like relationship. I'm a relational type of guy with the Lord. You know what? I'm very patriotic, but I'm ready to give up my citizenship because I'm going to be a citizen in New Jerusalem. That's my goal. That's where I'm going. And I won't be a United States citizen anymore. None of us will. Some people can't handle that, but I I can. I I want that for myself. And I want that for my family. And I tell them that too. We pray together. What's really neat is my wife and I pray all the time not long prayers, but uh, I never leave the house in the morning without praying with her. Pray at meals. We we just we love the Lord, and we'll sit and talk about. It. We have our best friends are really good Christians, and we will talk about stuff. You wouldn't believe the subjects we get into, but it's really interesting, and I have so much fun talking to them about this. So, do you have any supernatural encounters or experiences that you'd like to share about? Like I said, uh, that one encounter that. Sunday morning when the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks. I mean, that was big. That was recent. Yes. Yeah. That was when I first—that's the first day I came here. Yeah. Did he yell? No. Did he scream? No. He impressed on my heart, you're not going there. I'm never going to disobey the Holy Spirit. 
If he leads me and pushes me and you know nudges me in the in the direction he wants me to go, I'm listening to him. Now I I used to have uh, when I get out to prison. I would pray to the Lord, and uh, I mean, I had—I I would take a lot of time preparing my sermons, this preaching to the guys and stuff. But some nights I'd go down there, and the heaviness of the Lord was on me. The one night there was probably about twelve guys. Every one of them accepted the Lord. They knew. They just knew that when they come in that room, something was going to change. I, I used to love that. The, it, to feel that if you lead people to the Lord, we we went to Canfield. There's hundreds of people that accepted the Lord, and not just for me, and not just me, but my buddies. Would you know we took turns and at the fair? Yeah, we have a tent there. Yeah, I've done that for a lot of years. But I'm ready, willing, and able, and have an open heart. And it says you're supposed to be ready in season and out of season. So what I do is I take, I carry two pamphlets and two things. It keeps my wallet shut too. That things, and I pray over these. You know why? Because Paul and Peter, they couldn't go visit all the sick people. So what they did is they'd pray over napkins and uh, aprons, and then they would t- have people take them to the infirmed, and they would become healed and uh, forgiven. And so there's a lot to be said. You know, a lot of people pass out stuff and give stuff, but I think you should pray over it. I believe that anointing will go along with those pamphlets, papers, or whatever you're handing out. I believe that. Can uh, just hear your your passion for evangelism, and you know, honestly, something that is intimidating to a lot of people, myself included. And I I'm sitting here listening to you, feeling inspired by you. And if you're listening to this and and this is hard for you like it is for me, I hope that you are inspired to go out into the harvest field because there's people out there who who want to hear, who need to hear. Well, I didn't say this to make myself sound educated, important, because I'm the less, least important person around. I mean, hardly no one knows me here in church, and I, I'm okay with that, but uh, I want to go out and meet the world and talk to them about the Lord. I pray every night, Lord, send that person to me, and He will. I'll say, Lord, I, I haven't talked to somebody for a couple of days. I, I need someone here. I need you to send the person that's nearest health to come to me. And like I said, I'm not bragging about numbers. I'm not bragging about who can do better than—but the Lord has given me a gift, and I recognize that gift, and I don't want to keep it hidden. Well, I think you've given a lot of practical advice, too. I mean, you've talked about several different ways that you share your faith in terms of Scripture, within your family, outside your family, going to the fair, your tracks, your bracelets. There's yes. all, all kinds of ways that people can share Jesus in their in their testimony and their life, and you've talked about all of those. So I think you've given people a lot of practical ways that they can share if maybe going to the fair and, and just talking to people and handing out tracts isn't their thing. There's other things that they can do to share Jesus. Yeah. What my goal would be is to teach people how to do this because I didn't know how to do it, and I was lost. I wasn't leading anybody to the Lord. I was frustrated. I couldn't do it. But once I learned the technique and how this worked through the colors of the bracelet, it made it very easy, and people weren't intimidated by it. They were interested in the colors. What What's the next color mean? So yeah. because we're not on video and yeah. we're just recording, Felix has a bracelet with several colored beads. Can you talk us through the beads and the colors and what they mean? I could. Uh, you know what? I can probably do it in three minutes, but I like to take my time when there's people around. To fair, you know, they're moving, they're eating hamburgers and stuff, and they'll be sitting there and their kids are yelling. But I try to get it done. But I, can, I, I yeah, first of all, the color gold is the first color. It represents heaven because... 
The streets of gold are paved. It's gold. That's what it says in Revelation 21. It's a beautiful place. And like I said, we don't get there because we want to go there. It's a beautiful place. It's prepared for us. We have to have our reservations made. And the reason we can't go to heaven is the next color is the dark color. And it represents sin. The same reason that Adam and Eve got kicked out of paradise is the same reason we can't get into heaven is our sin. They were the first sinners. Their DNA is running through us. We can't get away from it. We are born with sin. So in order to become a child of God, reborn, born again, saved, whatever you want to call it, you have to ask Jesus for the redemption. Ask him to wipe away those sins. I hear a lot of people say, oh, no, Jesus can cover your sins. No, he doesn't cover. He wipes them away. Okay. You've ever seen the OxyClean commercial where the guy takes a white t-shirt and he puts blood and mercurochrome or whatever, wine, everything, and it ruins the shirt until he puts the OxyClean on it. And what it does is it obliterates the stain. Do you ever hear the song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? In the old covenant, priests went in to the Holy of Holies to cover your sins for one year. But he had to do that. It only, it only covered them. It was only a temporary. But Jesus wipes the, he's, uh, the sin away. He says, I'll separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. I will obliterate these sins. They're gone. What can do that? The red part is the blood. That's the remedy for the sin. Jesus' blood. There's no other way. I went to the Jesus March. And I had a sign that says, one way, Jesus, and that arrow pointed up. Really, that, that sign was a little bit, I, I wish I would have put only way, because a lot of people think there's other ways to get to God. Well, you know, uh, let's face it, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and he sent the Holy Spirit down here to help us get through this. But he prays for us, and then God will say, yes, you're my son. This person has met all the requirements. What is the requirements? To ask for forgiveness of sin and ask Jesus into your heart. How simple is that? So he is the remedy, and the blood will wash away our sins. Now, the, the white is when we're clean. When we become new, our heart becomes clean. And the only way you can tell if that's happened is if there's a change in your life. Saying the words will not do it, but if you have a clean heart, you feel it, and you, you are sincere when you ask God to forgive you, he will. He, that's what he does. He's gracious. Uh, that's his job to forgive our sins. He didn't come into the world to condemn sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. And people need to know that. And so when you become clean and white, well, the green stands for growth. Because you see in the spring, everything's green and pretty and all that stuff. How do you grow spiritually? I don't need to tell you that. You know that. You pray, you read your Bible, you sing. You There's a lot of different ways that you can grow spiritually. And uh, we need to do that. We need to be on the path with Jesus. We need to be followers of Jesus. We need to be praying. We need to be helping people. We need to be telling people how great Jesus is. That's what I want to tell people, how great he is. Well, we can see your enthusiasm for that. I wasn't timing you, but that was pretty good. Jesus in a nutshell, and that's what people need to know. I think I just had to get that out. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, that's that's great. That's great. That was about exactly three minutes. But see, you guys, you know all that. You're born again. I, I don't have any question about that. But there are certain people that don't know that. And a lot of times you just need to hear it in a different way. Because sometimes it's a hook. People say, oh, I didn't know that. You said something that got me. But it's not me. It's Jesus talking through me. And I'm excited about it. I love that. Yes. I don't know if the microphone's on or not, but I'll, I'll say the 
Ten Commandments, not as fast as I can, but real fast. <laughs> I am Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Two is thou shalt not make any graven images or serve them. Three, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Five, honor your father and mother. Six, thou shalt not kill. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not kill. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And ten, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's stuff. I believe that you need to hide the word in your heart, and how do you do it? Through scripture memorization. Well, it's been so fun having you on here. We appreciate your enthusiasm and your heart for the lost. I think there's actually a spark in your voice and in your eyes when you talk about that. And I think that I hope that people out there listening can catch a little bit of that, that we need to have a heart for the lost and we need to point them to Jesus. It, it could be different ways. You've showed us a beautiful way that works for you and that has been impactful for you. But I think the most important thing is that you care about people and you have a heart for them mm-hmm. and you want to see them saved and you want to see them have what you have, which is Jesus. Yep. I mean, you've gone through tragedy and you know that Jesus is there for you. Mm-hmm. He's the thing that's taken you out of the valley. Well, one thing that I didn't want to come across is I'm a know-it-all. I don't want that. And I didn't think I had anything to say. Uh, I feel sometimes inadequate. I think we all do that. I feel like I, I'm not, I don't deserve to even be on the Lord's team, but he deemed it. I'm righteous. Now, how can you say that? I'm righteous because of not what I did. It's because of what he did for me, and he imparted it to me. Well, thank you, Felix. Well, it was nice meeting you. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.